0: Lord, we didn't come today just because it's something we ought to do or it's a good thing to do or it's our religious service to do so. Our intention today is to hear from you. Lord, sometimes we're scared to hear from you. We don't know what you're going to say to us. But I know you're a good father and we're never scared to hear from you today. So I'm asking you today, Lord, would you speak clearly to each and every heart, to each and every life. Uh, Lord, where we are fearful, would you replace it with faith today? Because you're the giver of confidence and life and health and peace. And I ask you, Lord, that you bless even this presentation I'm about to give God that it's all yours. This is your house. These are your people. And so do with it as you you see. And you always see what's best. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. You can be seated. Also, if you're new, as Pastor Shelley said, uh, you want to know a little bit about myself, Pastor Shelley, this church, where we come from, who we are, where we're going, all those things are addressed in Welcome Home. We take three weeks, we have snacks, we hang out, we get to know you by name because this is what we endeavor to do, is that we believe as pastors of this church, we don't want you to be a stranger. Uh, People, we see people all the time in a grocery store or at the mall and they say, Pastor Allen, and... You know, there, there's nothing worse that I don't get to know who you are. I want to know who you are. You say, can you remember all those names? I will try. Somebody say amen. Because that's important to us. Relationships are important to us. So we want you to come and build a relationship with us. I read this story today about a man. He walks into this restaurant uh, with an ostrich following behind him. Uh, he sits at the counter and he says, I'll have a hamburger, fries, and a Coke. And then he turns to the ostrich and he says, what's yours? And the ostrich says, I'll have the same. A short time later, the waitress returns for the order and she said, that'll be 1640, please. And the man reaches into his pocket and pulls out the exact change for the payment. The next day, the man and the ostrich show up again. The man says, I'll have a hamburger, fries and a Coke. The ostrich says, I'll have the same. Once again, the man reaches into his pocket and pays with the exact change. This routine becomes normal until late one evening, the two enter again, and the waitress catches them at the counter and says, the usual? He says, no, this is Friday night. I'll have a steak, baked potato, and salad, says the man. Same for me, says the ostrich. A short time later, the waitress comes with the order and says, that will be thirty six seventy three. dollars Once again, the man pulls exact change out of his pocket and places it on the table. Now, the waitress is completely baffled. She can't get it. She said, excuse me, sir, I've got to know, how do you know? How do you come up every time that the bill is due and you have the exact amount of money in your pocket every time I ask you? Well, says the man, several years ago, I was cleaning the attic. I found this old lamp and when I rubbed it, a genie appeared and offered me two wishes. My first wish was that if I ever had to pay for anything, I would just put my hand in my pocket and there the right amount of money would always be. The woman said, that's brilliant. Most people would wish for a million dollars or something, but you'll always be as rich as you want for as long as you live. He said, that's right, whatever. If it's a gallon of milk or a Rolls Royce, I reach in my pocket and the exact amount of money is always there. Well, she is satisfied with the answer. She's about to walk away and she turns around and says, but I've got to know, there's one more thing what's with the ostrich? The man replies, well, my second wish was for a chick with long legs. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful what you ask for. Kids have gone back to school and we've endeavored in this mission that God's given us to talk about in our Christian walk, how God wants us always to be growing. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. We should always be growing and learning in our spiritual walk. And so some of the things that are important in our spiritual walk, there, there are like the ABCs are important in learning to spell and learn grammar. Or like two plus two and basic addition and subtraction are later important for algebra and calculus and the other parts of chemistry that none of us like. Somebody say Amen. But you never learn those things unless you learn the foundations as right. And there's a foundation that we've been talking about for the last three weeks that we haven't talked about enough in church. And it's so clear that we see it time and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's pretty clear because God, it says this, that God rejects the prideful and embraces the humble. And James says, so therefore... Humble yourself before God. And what we need to understand is we truly can't have faith without humility. We truly can't love without humility. That it all comes from this basis in our Christian walk of humility. And it kind of goes against the grain of everything we learn, learn in our public schools and our rights as Americans. Because we're a very proud people. And yet we read the Word of God and it's countercultural. To begin to understand how important humility is to God But not only humility is to God Humility is in our Christian walk And so this week, like many of you We have been reading through the Bible in a year Uh, We have the Bibles out there We sell them, they're cheap Uh, I I do it every day I get up every morning And I I go through the Bible And I've been doing it a year I will complete my year, I think next week uh, And I will keep going And I'll read the Bible through in a year again Uh, And I find something that every time I open the Word of God every day, as we're reading, we're reading the Old Testament, we're reading the New Testament, we're reading Psalms, we're reading Proverbs, every day without exception. 365 days in reading the Word of God, there's not been a day I haven't gotten something out of the Word of God. You say, well, you get that because you're the pastor. I don't go read the Word of God as a pastor. I don't go read it to get sermons out of it, honestly. Honestly. But it's amazing, as I was reading this week, there's something that really struck me. Uh, And it struck me because Paul's in his second letter to the Corinthians, and he's writing to them. He gets really, really honest about his life. Uh, That sometimes we, we look at the Word of God, and it's overwhelming, and we say, well, those people weren't like us. But you read this passage, and here's a guy who is basically the founder of the New Testament church. That signs, wonders, and miracles followed him everywhere he went. I mean, blind eyes are open, deaf ears hear, people are raised from the dead. And yet when we read this in 2 Corinthians one eight, he's talking about why he hasn't come to visit them again. And he says this, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Has anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been crushed And overwhelmed beyond your ability to endure. Can I see your hands today? And this is what the man of faith says. Listen to the word of God. The man of faith says, and we thought we would never live through it. Listen to what he says. In fact, we expected to die. Those are pretty dire circumstances. When the man of God and the man that has a destiny upon his life thinks this is the end, it's come to this. This is it. But there's a word here that's important for us today. But as a result, and I have this next part underlined, circled, highlighted in my Bible. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned. Everybody say learned. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead and he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again we have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us the key to this passage in our learning about humility is also learning we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. Then it took them in this dire place where they literally thought we're going to die. And so what do you do in a place like that? You turn to all the resources you know. <laughs> you, you, you call in all the favors that you can call in. You do everything in your power to make this thing change And then when you discover you can't do anything, this is what we do. We rely upon God. This is what they learned. They learned that no matter how much control they thought they had, and this is true of life, they realized they didn't have very much control. And here's the key, and God has all the control. Now, I've got to ask a question before we start today. They're simple questions. But we have to build from somewhere. How many of you are here today because you believe in God? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a good start. How many of you believe that God is perfect? Now, I'm going to test you for just a sec because I'm asking this next question because it's really a test of our faith. How many of you believe that God never fails? I'm a baseball fan Uh, and in baseball, if you hit the ball 30% of the time, they call you great. 30% of the time they call you great. If you're exceptional and you hit the ball or get a hit 40% of the time, you're automatically a hall of famer because nobody hits the ball 40% of the time. And now you've all said, Here is a God who is perfect, and he bats a thousand. All the time. He never fails, and he bats a thousand. But there's only one problem. You ready? Our experience. (laughs) There's a big problem with our experience. Because all of a sudden we say, well, God is this way, but the Apostle Paul said, and we thought we were going to die. And we quit relying upon ourselves. There's a there's a part that comes in this that's so important in our humility. Humility is so important in our walk with God. I read this week, and, and I know the guy did so innocently. I, I'm on social media with a lot of guys that do what I do. They're pastors or. They want to be pastors, they work on staff, and this one guy works on staff. Uh, And he wrote, uh, I've heard that if you have 10,000 hours of experience in something, you become an expert. Uh, And he was talking about church work. And I thought to myself, I don't know how many hours I have beyond 10,000 hours, but I can tell you this today. You ready for this? I'm not an expert. Do you know why? I have learned, I have learned to rely upon God. Now, that didn't just happen. You learn to rely upon God. You say, how do you learn to rely upon God? You begin to listen to him and his voice. Because you understand, I'm going to teach you something about prayer today. A lot of people believe prayer is about talking. But prayer, effective prayer, is about listening. Somebody say amen. Because as we listen, we can even learn how to talk to God. God can tell us what to ask for. But sometimes we're so busy asking for what we think we ought to get, we don't hear what we really ought to ask for. So I had something happen to me recently. Um... I'm, I'm, here's an admission. This year, financially, the church has been kind of in a strain, and I'll tell you why. It's not because our giving has decreased. It's because our giving kind of stayed on the same plane and level. Uh, but inflation, I know everybody understands this from your household, uh, everything's gotten 30 to 40% more expensive. So our budget hasn't been balancing, and it bothered me. Uh, bothered me to a point where I was stressed out. Anybody understand what stressed out over finances was? I would come in the office and I wasn't even any fun to Pastor Glenn. He, in fact, he told me, Pastor, you can stay home all you want. <laughs> him and Shelly conferred on that and they said, let's just let him stay home. It's easier if he stays home. And I found out I was as stressed at home as I was up here. So I would just call him. So he thought, thought, he finally said, you might as well be here. And so a habit of mine for a number of years has been to, when I arrive here at the church, I go to my office and I pray over this morning service. And before I walk out, I always say these words, God, this is your church. I said those words two weeks ago in the midst of all this stress. And as I said those words, I heard. And I said, God, this is your church. And he said, Is it really? And I'm very stubborn and strong headed, so I'm going to say it again. And so I said, God, this is your church. And I heard it again very distinctly Is it really? And I knew exactly what God was saying to me. If it's mine, you ought to trust that it's mine. And you ought to trust that I can take care of what's mine. And so I said it one more time with great conviction this time. Because I knew what God was saying to me. God, this is your church. And when I said it, something happened. And this is what I pray happens for you today. When I said that, those words, it was like all the anxiety left. All the fear, all the pressure, everything, how I'm trying to control, manipulate, make happen. I came to a place and I learned not to rely upon myself. I learned to rely upon God. See, faith is a total trust and confidence in God. But we have this idea. This is our idea of faith. I'll have faith when I need it. When there's a problem in my marriage, when when I get sick, when I need money, I will have faith. And we make faith all about a circumstance, all about an event. But faith is not about an event. Faith is about life it's about consistency in life see the apostle paul says this it says he will rescue us again yes. you, know, you know what that means he was anticipating he was going to encounter the same circumstance again and what he is saying is this i've got not enough faith not just for the mess i'm in right now i've got enough faith to understand he's going to get me out of it again See, it's confidence in God and not confident in our own ability. And confidence is only found in this biblical principle that is so foundational that Jesus taught about is we have to to die to our desire to control. This last week reminded me of this little girl. Some of you may have one of those little prima donnas. This little girl, it was her first week of kindergarten. And she was kind of like, I hate to say this out loud, you may know them. You no, know, I'm speaking, it's just fictional, so don't try to guess who this is. Let's just say the little girl acted a lot like her mommy. And she came home from her first day at kindergarten. She slammed the door and she says, I'm wasting my time, she said to her mother. <laughs> I can't read, I can't write, and they won't let me talk. <laughs> the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so, what happens in our life of faith is that oftentimes we make our faith about the circumstance. And then when God doesn't fulfill the circumstance as we thought he was going to fulfill the circumstance, we lose hope. And when we lose hope, we all of a sudden lose faith. And before long, we don't understand how we got to the place we are because we believe in God. We're just not certain God wants to do something for us. See, real God confidence is not established in the fulfillment of a request. This is important. But knowing who we are to God. I'm going to share a passage with you in Romans chapter 8. But as I do, I've got to tell you, I've got three kids. They're great kids. My oldest is 30. Abigail, who was leading worship here, she'll turn 26 in a couple of months. And then we have a little baby who's not a baby anymore, Jonathan, and he'll turn 18 in a couple of months. Now I've kind of learned Abigail's not here, so she can't, she can't argue with me in this service. We had a little argument in first service because she was sitting right there because my problem, and it's not her problem, is she's grown older and she still lives in the house. And sometimes I think I can father her like I did when she was 16, but she's not 16, she's soon to be 26. One of the things that bothers me, and I know some of you, you're the same way, is she has a love affair with the snooze on her phone. (laughs) My deal is, why set an alarm if you're not gonna answer it for five times? Now, all of you people that think getting up is a process, I have a problem with you today. (laughs) That's not how my daughter thinks and I still think I'm her daddy. And so some mornings I'm saying, your alarm went off at 5.45 and you got up at 6.15. That's what I wanted to say this morning. I promise you, I wanted to say it. So I said it in my sermon in first service. but we have a 17 year old he's a senior in high school and our relationship is a great relationship but in that relationship because I'm his dad and he's 17 years old and he's got the brain of a 17 year old young man with hormones somebody say amen and as a 59 year old man and his father who loves him there are occasions because I love him I say no In fact, there are a lot of occasions that I tell him no. And there are a lot of occasions that I give him parameters to work within and say, these are the parameters you can work within. Uh, And I trust you in these parameters and don't blow it. Because there's a growth pattern. And I want us to understand he knows who I am and he trusts me. Seldom, if ever, do I get guff out of him. Seldom, if ever, because he loves me. He's one of those kids that's always been secure in his love for his parents. And he has this incredible love for so much so that he can be in the middle of being chastised or being immediately chastised. And gotten, and that little joker will ask for the moon. You can punish him. And 10 minutes later, he's saying, hey, you think we can go to the Astros game? You say, why are you talking about that? Because I'm gonna tell you what he believes. He knows his mom and dad love him. He knows that even in his mess up, listen to me, this is, this is important theology. Even as in his mess up, it doesn't change our love for him. Everybody hear what I just said? He doesn't walk in condemnation and think, well, my parents are so mad at me, they don't wanna bless me. no. He has great faith and confidence. And Romans 8 speaks about that confidence. And I I want us to listen to it this morning. Maybe like you're hearing it for the first time. I'm going to read it and you can read along with me. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Wait a minute. Let's ask a question again. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, For your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, everybody say, Convinced. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in all the sky above or the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to understand something. This is what we have to say today. It's coming up. You ready? I am loved. Say it with me. I am loved. And it's so important that we know that. Because it's important to our confidence to understand that sometimes in life things don't go our way. And there are times where our Father in heaven tests us. So Abigail, some of you may not know this. One month after she was born, she developed what the doctors called a cavernous hemangioma. And what it looked like was a huge tumor that came up on the side of her head. And eventually, it would grow from golf ball size to almost a baseball. Now, the difficulty about that, especially in a small child, is Everywhere we, we would take her, people would say, what did you do to her? I mean, we were accused of child abuse. We were accused of dropping her, all kinds of things. I mean, people would look at her with ugly looks. And so Shelly and I decided we would agree in prayer. And so for every day, I would pray and I would ask God to heal and take this away. The doctor said it would eventually go away in time, maybe. If not, they would have to do a surgery, but he planned on not wanting to do it because there are, he said there are thousands of blood vessels in this hemangioma. And he says to catheterize every blood vessel would be a surgery between 8 and 12 hours. So we believed. And so I prayed in the first year that she was alive and it got bigger and every time we prayed seemed like it got bigger and i developed a habit where i came to god and i said god i'm here today and i love you and i'm asking you and i'll be back tomorrow now listen this went on for five years We'd all like for God to do it in one day. That was my preference. That was my want, my desire. That God, I pray, and man, if you could just take that away. Because you couldn't imagine the pain that was causing her, but the pain that it caused us because people rejected her because of this purple and red and blue thing that was on the side of her head. I mean, we have pictures of her birthday parties. And, and the girl hated the camera, rightfully so. And the crazy part is in her kindergarten year, all of a sudden it started going down and by the time she reached first grade, it had gone completely and no surgery was ever done on her face, none whatsoever. Now, listen, our preference is for God to do it in the now. But when you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here, that sometimes in your understanding of who you are, that you're loved, sometimes it doesn't come in your timing because if it's about your timing, it's about your control. Wait a minute. If it's about your timing, it's about your control. And we're going to talk about it. He's the Lord. Somebody say, He's the Lord. See, there is no circumstance dire enough that can define who I am to God. So we have to live out this new identity, and it is the ultimate humility. The humility is we have to die to our control. The faith life is found only through death. Jesus says in Luke, you have to take up your cross daily. In order to find your life, you must lose it. so we have this idea god i want you to do this and here's how i want you to do it and here's when i want you to do it and it's all about our control and we kept we we quit relying upon ourselves and we learned to rely upon god see it doesn't mean we quit asking i I asked every day it doesn't mean we quit expecting But Jesus has to be the ultimate authority. Let let me say it again. Jesus has to be the ultimate authority. Now, the Word of God says this in numerous places. Ephesians, Hebrews, all through the epistles of the Apostle Paul, Peter, uh, even James. Uh, It tells us that there is nothing that's not under Christ's authority. You, You understand every demon in hell is under Christ's authority. Y'all don't believe that. Every demon in hell is under Christ's authority. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to surprise you. You ready for this? Even every politician in Washington are under Christ's authority. Y'all are laughing back there. (laughs) He said, Pastor, I, I wish that were true. I want to prove that to you today. See, Jesus being Lord has to be more than just a token title. I I want to declare Jesus is Lord over my family. Listen to me. Listen to me. But for that to happen and for him to be Lord, I have to relinquish control. That you can't manipulate your kids to be saved. Somebody say amen. Amen. I have to let go. And I have to say, Jesus, you're the Lord over my family. Jesus, you're the Lord over my marriage. I can't change my spouse. If you haven't learned that, thank you, Pastor Shelley. (laughs) That was a fine amen right there. Jesus is the Lord over my future. Now, I was sharing on Friday, I do a Bible study for a number of years at a golf club, and I'm sharing with these guys on Friday, and I'm sharing the passage of the rich young ruler out of Luke. And it's baffled me because it's kind of gotten my attention about humility, but also about authority. That Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel, speaking of this guy, a Roman soldier who is in occupation there, that everybody hated Roman soldiers because they weren't there just to change their life and tax you. They were there to change your complete culture and what you thought and believed. And they used all kinds of torture like they did with Jesus to accomplish through intimidation the change of their culture. Now, something you may not be aware of, Roman occupation happened in Judea For between seven and 800 years, it wasn't just during the time of Christ. But you have this Roman, and Jesus is about to arrive at his house, and he sends out his servant, and he tells Jesus, I'm not worthy to even have you come set foot in my house because you're such a great authority that all you have to do, because I understand authority, because I'm here as a Roman soldier, all I have to do is tell my guys, go when they go. And he said, Lord, all you have to do is speak a word. And it's something that we don't understand. And sometimes we don't understand because of our American upbringing, culture, Western thought. We have these inalienable rights that we hold on to. And they really conflict with the word of God. It's a culture thing. Because he believed Jesus had the authority by a word to change everything. And Jesus said, you've got great faith. But you understand, it wasn't just great faith because he understood authority. Whether he stumbled into this understanding or not, he understood the authority of heaven. Did you know that angels are organized by legions and there are captains over angels? Stay with me. So, what that means is there's God who is on the throne, and He has heaven organized even with angels, and angels have an authority structure in heaven. Let's go a step further. Did you know when we go to heaven, there's going to be an authority structure among us? That Jesus said, I've got 12 thrones for my 12 disciples, and they're going to rule from those 12 thrones in heaven. So there's an authority that you say, well, I'm gonna serve God forever, but understand something. There's also gonna be people ruling in heaven. And so this is the whole push against this biblical understanding in our American concept, because in American Christianity, you know what people say? I just serve God. And it creates uh, creates a big problem, especially when you read in 1 Peter chapter 2, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. And this is what we believe, and here's our control. You ready? You ready? You ready? You ready? How many you ready? We think because we have the right to vote, we have the right to control. And we lose the portion of our faith to come in and say, God's got it under control. Wait a minute. I'm not convincing you because you still want to post stuff on Facebook. Stay with me. (laughs) God is under, he's got it all under control. Pastor, it's a mess. (laughs) Folks, we have an American mess. We're not living in a Chinese mess where we wouldn't be here today. Somebody say amen. We're living in an American mess, not a Zambian mess that I go to all the time. We're living in an American mess, not a South African. We're living in an American mess, not, not a Hungarian or a Romanian mess or a Russian mess or a Ukrainian mess. Yes. Yes. And we think that we have these rights that so all of a sudden, and we carry our issues and we carry our pride and our ego and we carry what we think people owe us. And you understand something. Salvation is a gift that nobody here worked to accomplish. Amen. And the word of God says, lest no man should boast, nobody. It's a gift. And we come. And we take this gift and we say, Jesus be the Lord of my life. And yet there are parts of our life that we don't want him to be Lord of because we still want to be in control. Not only do we want to be in control, listen to me, we want to complain. Happened to me last week. And, and really it was great conviction for me. I'm in the middle of, about to preach a sermon and God says, I got to talk to you about something. And I love it when God has to talk to me about something before I get up here. Especially as it relates to the sermon. He said, I, I got to talk to you about how you address the current president. And I said, um, I don't understand. He said, well, you don't even call him by his title. Meaning that he's a peer. And I've called you to honor him. And I said, All the good excuses that we give everybody. And he says, Do do you believe that I'm Lord? Everything's under my feet. And so what happens is because we want to have control, listen to Pastor, we can't issue forth faith. Because the only way we issue forth faith is through humility and relinquishing our control. And we learn not to rely upon ourselves, but to rely upon God. See, faith is more than a belief system. Faith is a life of complete confidence in God over every area of our life. So let's talk about establishing faith and humility. We're wrapping up. Number one, I just said it. Faith is a total confidence in God. God's more than an emergency plan. He's more than just hoping that he comes through. Number two, we have to know our identity determines my confidence in God. When I know who I am in him, I have great confidence. Can I tell you something today? And I have great conviction about this. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you did last night. I I, I don't care. I, I don't care about all the things that right now you think that are important. What I do care about is for that you know this one thing, is that God loves you and he wants the very best for your life in spite of anything and everything else. See, you have your idea about what God, he's rejecting you and I'm what I'm telling you is, he's just wanting to love you. And when you can understand your love in God, you can relinquish your control and you can trust him and say, I, I trust you with this. I trust you with my finances. A lot of people don't tithe. You know why they don't tithe? Is because they don't trust God with their finances. So they make all kinds of squirrely excuses about, oh, I don't think it's New Testament, no, oh, I don't think it's this, uh, that has nothing to do with a giving heart. That we're made in the image and likeness of Almighty God, being redeemed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died and gave Himself completely for us. And this is what we want to say I've been redeemed, but I'm not going to be like Jesus. When we relinquish control over our finances and we really understand that God's in control, but it's an issue. Number three, we have to die to our control. That's what enables life to my faith. And lastly is, Jesus as Lord is more than just a title. He he has authority over everything, but the question is, will I put everything under his authority? He has authority over everything, but the question is, will I put everything under his authority? Will I put my kids under his authority? Will I put my finances under his authority? Will I put Washington, D.C. under Christ's authority? That I can pray effectively and hear from God. Because God has a big plan. Somebody say amen. amen. You say, well, pastor, are you saying we shouldn't vote? That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I want you to understand something. That This is our idea of honor and respect. When the person that we voted for doesn't get into office, we think that we don't have to honor and respect. And that shows that we don't believe that God's in control. It's not biblical and it's not true. Because... We have to understand, I believe that when it says he has all things under his authority, how many of you believe he has everything under his authority? So now I'm going to do a transfer. Are you ready today? I'm putting my marriage under his authority. I'm putting my kids under his authority. Wait, wait a minute. I'm putting my past under the authority of Jesus Christ. I can't control it anymore. I've got to let go. I've got to trust God completely, understanding. Like Paul said, it's gonna happen again, but guess what? He's gonna rescue again. How many of you believe he's gonna rescue again? So every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. This is not important as a response to me today because it's not about me today. But I'd like for you to have an honest moment with God today. Right here in this place with nobody looking around, I'd like for you to have an honest moment with God. That honest moment starts with this question. Lord, I've not put this under your authority and I'm living anxious and fearful and I act ways I shouldn't act and behave ways I shouldn't behave and I need to let go today. And I need to put, whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your finances, whether it's your occupation, whether it's your future, whatever it is, today you say, I'm going to bring this under the authority of Jesus Christ. If that's you, before God, I want you to raise your hand right now and I'm going to pray over you. Hands are going up all over the place. And as hands are being raised, tears are coming down. Keep your hands up because it's not important for me. Young people and old people alike are raising their hands to say, you know what? This is, this is important. <sighs> Lord, do you see every hand and what we're saying today is this. There was a time when you, we asked you because we wanted to go to heaven, forgive me of my sins, and we meant every bit of that. But like the Apostle Paul, we have learned and we are learning not to rely upon our own energy, aptitude, that we only rely upon you. And so Lord, we put everything, everything, we put everything under your authority. We put our children under your authority. We put our spouse under your authority. We put our future under your authority. We put all of our schooling and we put everything under your authority. And what happens, Lord, when we do that with every head raised, here's what happens. You're going to feel it in just a moment. With every hand upward lifted, that's you, are said, this is me. All of a sudden, Lord, you bring peace. Lord, bring peace right now. As we release this, bring peace over every person right now. Bring peace. Lord, peace that passes understanding, that they say, wow. God you really do have this now Lord here's the cool part that in this peace you begin speaking to us and giving us direction don't touch don't go Lord we hear you we hear you so we ask in this peace Lord you speak to us because as we release all of a sudden you begin speaking to us and we say Lord it belongs to you wholeheartedly belongs to you this church belongs to you these people belong to you they are your possession in fact they are your greatest possession on planet earth and you love them and there's nothing you wouldn't do for them and so lord it's simply by faith we just have confidence in who we are and we just move these things over and say i trust you more than i trust myself everybody look at me for a moment you know nothing's changed since i was eight years old isn't that amazing every time i sense the presence of god and peace comes i feel that on the inside and it's like every time it happens i go (sighs) i mean i did that when i was eight years old sitting in a chair and i asked jesus to forgive me my sins and the first time i felt that peace i thought wow i'm not afraid to die and today you're going to walk out of here and you're going to say i'm not afraid of that anymore but you know, here's, here's the trick. Tomorrow morning, you're gonna wake up with the fear again. And so what you have to do tomorrow morning is this. Lord, I put that, it's in your hands. You're the Lord over this. And he'll speak to you again. And you know what? Before long, you'll say, it's in his hands. <laughs> Pastor, aren't you worried about the economy? And aren't you worried about, no in God's hands well has anything, anything supernatural happened to change your idea? nothing but you know what? I've got a confidence in my heart I've been here 30 years we've seen it before God's always came through and guess what? He'll rescue you again somebody say amen faith is not, a, it's not an occurrence faith is a life stand with me today so thankful for, that you guys have come and been with us on in this 11 o'clock service. I'm going to ask something of you. If you can come to 9 o'clock, it will relieve some of the strain on parking and seats. And uh, some of you guys won't get moved up to the front row. <laughs> you know, they always say, ooh, ushers are bringing people to the front row. You know, it's like, wow, you know. And I realize there aren't any seats left. 9 o'clock is a great service. We do the same thing at 9 o'clock. The Spirit shows up. It's always about God's presence being here. Amen. But I'm going to ask you to do something because I believe we're in a season of harvest. What that means is this. I'm going to ask you to ask people to come to church to experience God's presence. You say, well, I've asked before. Not in this season. Something's changed. If you will ask, this is what I guarantee you. Somebody's going to say yes. You're going to say, I can't believe they decided to come to church with me. And you understand that's what it's all about. That they can experience the peace and joy and love that you've experienced today. They can experience it them for themselves. And God can change their life. So how many of you will ask somebody to come to church this week? God bless you. We love you. God loves you. He wants the best for your life always. Go with God. You're dismissed.